What's up, everyone? Welcome to the episode three of the Unite Asia podcast. My name is Riz. We're going to start this video by thanking people for sharing this podcast so that the audience just continues to grow. For example, we've got, let's see, Lou Kohler, vocalist of Sick of It All, shared the last podcast of Odessa. A good friend, Greg, vocalist of Trial, and now he plays a bystander, actually personally messaged me about the podcast. He says, Listening to episode two now, this podcast is so good, my friend. It's eye-opening and mind-expanding for me. I feel like I have missed out on decades of incredible Asian bands. I have a lot of catching up to do. Thank you for this podcast and for all you do. That means the world to me because that is the whole point of this podcast, to allow people from outside of Asia or around the world or even just outside of certain countries in Asia a chance to hear and learn about different scenes here that we do exist. Our scenes have been around for decades. So thank you, Greg, for that amazing message. What else do we have? We have, oh yeah, we got our very first podcast review. And it was from Josh and Chris out of this amazing uh, US-based website called In Effect Hardcore. He did such a great job reviewing certain things, including N and the content and the things that Anne was sharing, but he even started noticing certain things about like the cadence of the interview. He was noticing things, which I appreciate, that I ask a question and then I just let the guest speak freely. I'm a fan of those types of podcasts where the, the guests get to speak. The person doing the interviewing doesn't constantly talk over the guests and interrupt and share their own stories because for me, I probably tune into a podcast because I want to hear what the guest has to say. So I really appreciate that Josh of In Effect noticed that about myself. He also noticed, which is great to me, he noticed the background. He noticed the display that I have here and I do purposely curate what's behind me and I purposely look through my collection of records of Asian bands and make sure that stuff goes up. He immediately noticed, I think it was over here in that interview, in N's interview, where I had Korean hardcore punk band Flush's debut album on LP. It was in that wall over here. So I'm, I'm really impressed and actually stoked that he had noticed that. Thanks, Josh. What else do we have? We also have Saurav, a Nepali musician of a uh, Nepali band called Breach Not Broken. He recently did a podcast um, that he's been running himself for weeks. He's got a great podcast. It's mainly Nepali, but he's got some English. But he did a special one called Releasing Your Album and EP. What he was trying to do in it was try to teach bands what to do once your music is recorded. Your job doesn't stop there as a band. You don't just stop with, okay, my music's recorded, done, it's printed on CD or vinyl or whatever it is. Your job has only just begun because now you need to go promote it. There are millions and billions of bands releasing music every day. So what Sorov did was he allowed the bands and taught the bands what to do next, who to approach, who to contact to help promote your band and promote your material, promote your music video, EPs, tours, whatever it is. And one of the places that he mentioned that, that bands should contact is UnitedAsia.org. So that meant a lot. Thank you so much for noticing us. Next, speaking of Nepal, a band called Kids and Heroes left an amazing message on uh, the podcast. He wrote, it's so amazing these podcasts are coming out and helping share these amazing stories, news, and experiences. And that means a lot because that's it. That's what we're trying to do is try to bring an interesting guest on each episode so that the world can hear their stories through their own trials and tribulations in their lives to share what happened to them, for them, for their band, to be able to continue to promote their band and message regardless. So N did that, Odessa did that, today's guest certainly did that. Thanks for noticing. Okay, on that note, on to the news. 
All right, welcome to the new section of the Unite Asia podcast. I'm glad people noticed that in episode two, we started putting this in there. There are a lot of bands releasing music all year round. We'll just try our best to capture just a bunch of them. I can't give you the whole thing because it would take hours and hours long, but I'm going to give you a little list of bands that you should be watching out for. All right, first on my list here is amazing Thai post-hardcore band called Brand New Sunset. They're about to release their sixth album called The Machiner. It's coming out in October. It's coming out on their own record label. They're putting it out themselves on CD, cassette, vinyl. This band is phenomenal. Not only are they phenomenal music-wise, but their live show is incredible. They are so loud, but not loud in like, oh my gosh, my ears hurt kind of manner. Loud as in you are wowed. You step back going, oh my gosh, this is an incredible band. They are so good. So watch out for their sixth album, The Machiner. Next, we've got awesome, awesome hardcore punk band called Slant Out of Korea. One of my favorites running right now. They have just finished their debut album. So it's off to the printers and it should be out probably November or end of the year. The band says it's coming out on U.S. label called Iron Lung Record, which is sick that U.S., U.K., European labels, labels outside of Asia are aware of our bands and actually signing them to release their music. Thank you so much, Iron Lung Records. You got a great band. Next, on the Korean front, we also have Combative Post, who are about to release their new album actually next month in September. Their album is called White Out, and they've already released one track off the album, and it is phenomenal. It's such a great track. It's got this perfect blend of dark hardcore, so it's a little bit blackened here and there, some blast beats in there, killer vocals, really nice raw production on the guitars, so it's not overproduced at all, just the way I like my hardcore. Watch out for this. This record is going to be sick, especially if that one song, if the rest of the album sounds like that, amazing. Malaysian stoner doom band Birdoza. This band is incredible. They're about to release their debut album as well. Now, if any one of you, any of you bands want to know how to do your band properly in terms of visuals, go look up Birdoza. Go to UniteAsia.org, type Birdoza into search, and just look at what they do from their photos, from their album art. Everything is perfectly blended into what this band is all about. They have thought through their visuals so carefully. That's what bands need to do. Go check them out. On the Indonesian hardcore front, we got two pretty sick bands who are releasing stuff. A band called Shark Bite is releasing their second album called Relocate the Fate. It's coming out on Maternal Disaster. Actually, it's already out on CD. Maternal Disaster has promised us that it'll be out digitally by the end of the month. The band has already released a couple tracks from it. It's phenomenal. Great music. Next, we also have the 10th anniversary of a band called Fraud. This band from Indonesia is also a massive band. You know, it's got a perfect blend of heavy hardcore with some hardcore metal in there, a lot of hate breed influence. This band is about to release their next album, Sanctuary, in November. It's going to be sick. They've already put up one song called The Prophecy. The video is outstanding. You definitely got to go check them out. On the Japanese front, we've got an awesome hardcore punk band called Low Vision who are about to release a new album. It's called Stand Against, but the weird part is this is also their last album because the band has decided to call it quits after 17 years. The band has said they've had a bunch of members come and go, and finally, after 17 years, they decided to call it quits. Sad to see them go, but that was a great band. They left some great music. Watch out for this brand new album. On the tour front, we've got Beijing Stoner Doom Band called Never Before. 
Great band. They released a record earlier this year called Savage, I believe. And now they've announced a tour around China where they're going to take their music on the road. What a great band. Right here in Hong Kong, we got a pretty cool announcement. A band called Rain in Time is also celebrating their 10th year anniversary. And they've been celebrating it in style, releasing great music videos, brand new songs. And they also decided to work together with a Hong Kong brewery called Heroes to release a special collab beer. And the beer is called Cupsy. Cup because their Cantonese name is Cupsy Yu. And so they took that name Cup and Z because I believe the beer Heroes had created a special hazy type of beer. I don't drink alcohol. I don't know what hazy means. I'm just reading what the information was that was sent to me. So apparently there's some sort of beer that's hazy. I don't know if there's a beer that's clear. So the opposite is hazy. No idea. Anyway, so they took the name Cupsy Yu. They took the cup part. And it took the Z part from the word hazy, put it together. So this beer, the special beer created for Rain in Time together with Heroes is called Cupsy. So that will be out and available on Heroes uh, website. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we've arrived to the main feature of this episode. This is a little bit of an emotional interview for me personally, and especially for him, especially for his friends and his family. Last year, a very dear friend of mine named Melvin, who plays bass in a band called Harvest, had a tragic accident, a horrible accident, where he fell from a two meter high stage, fell on the floor and hit his spinal cord on the floor and he's been paralyzed ever since. Before you get into the interview, I just wanna make sure you know that Melvin is an, one of those creative geniuses, a true artist of artists. He creates amazing stuff in terms of music, visuals, photography, everything that this person creates, even graphics for t-shirts, for records, Everything that he does is phenomenal. So when the news broke out that this happened to him, it was very hard for a lot of people. I'm sure it was especially difficult for his family and his close friends. What I want to tell you before you get into the interview is that we did this interview while he's paralyzed, while he's at home. So he's in his bed, unable to move from the neck down. Due to that, you could hear that his voice seems weak every once in a while. But his heart is strong. This person is a strong person determined to make it through this. So in this interview, we go deep into his history about how a kid in Singapore got into hardcore punk. Of course, we also talk about his accident. But the point of this interview is not to dwell on the tragedy of, and the horrible incident, but to show the world how strong of a human being this person is. That even in this type of situation, he is still doing great things. The last thing I want to leave you with is this amazing quote straight from Melvin's mouth in this interview. He said, I want to show the world that it's not impossible for people with disabilities to achieve things that they want to achieve. And on that note, enjoy this interview with Mel. Welcome, everybody, to the third episode of the United Asia podcast. We continue to have the best guests ever. So episode one, we had Anne of Second Combat. Episode two, we had Odessa from the Philippines of Chokokoi. Today, we have my friend Mel of Harvest fame from Singapore. How are you doing, brother? What's up, man? I'm good. Good to see you, man. Yeah, good to see you. Having me on 
this podcast. Dude, it's such an honor to have you on, man. I'm glad that we were able to make this work. Where are you right now? I am currently lying on my bed, which <laughs> I spent like three quarters of the day on. Yeah, but um, I mean, it's kind of nice, but to be honest, I'm kind of like sick of lying down and sitting down, but you know, definitely looking forward to the day where I'll kind of be like, you know, standing again in a way. So, yeah. It's amazing that you're in this position, but you're still smiling, you're happy, you're still doing everything. I mean, you're going to be an inspiration for people for hundreds of years, my friend. I hope so. I mean, like, you know, like having to hit like rock bottom, like the lowest point in my life. You know, like, um, I could only, you know, like, try to climb my way back up rather than, you know, just try to, like, dwell in the lowest depths and, like, you know, be, like, getting all sad and shit. So, I mean, you know, life goes on, my friend. You're amazing, bro. You're so amazing. Now, with our podcast, what we usually do is we kind of go back to the beginning um, you know, like how people first got into certain types of music because our audience is all over uh, the world. So like, for example, with N, instead of talking about Second Combat and drug-free Malaysia, we went to the very beginning, like how does a kid in Kuala Lumpur get into hardcore and punk? So is that okay with you, Mel, if we kind of go back to like the days of little Mel, young Mel walking the streets of Singapore and what was the day that you finally were like, whoa, what's this hardcore punk rock stuff? How did I, how can I find out more about this? Can you tell us how you got into it in Singapore? When I was probably like 15, 16, I kind of got um, influenced into like metal. So from there, after I graduated, I went to college and then I met um, my dear friend, Axel. And then from there, um, he kind of like got me, you know, the earlier hardcore stuff like uh, Miles Away, um, FC5, Since the Flood, the old um, Your Demise, um, Seven Star. You know, it took me a while to actually kind of really like took a dive into it. And then, um, he actually started inviting me to like shows, bands like For Better Endings and, and bands like that. So um, it was kind of like a mixed genre kind of thing. But I think of, out of all the genres that were in, uh, as in that, that were part of the show, I kind of actually got like attracted to hardcore the most. From there, I kind of just you know like started like um going to more hardcore shows yeah that's a, that's a power of hardcore and punk rock i think i think there's just some sort of for some people like you and me and lots of friends that we know hardcore and punk become like a drug you're like you can't stop you're like oh no like i need to get some space but you're like no it keeps sucking you back in exactly um that you know what what's interesting with what you just said i didn't realize that you got into hardcore punk until after college it was about, I think I was like 17. Uh, but before that, like, I was listening to quite a bit of metal. And um, 
a lot of like punk rock, like you know bands like Catch Twenty Two, um, Lagwagon, um, Offspring, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean the the great old '90s bands, right? Lagwagon, No Effects, Fat Record stuff. Yeah, like straight up Circle Beat stuff. <laughs> You know, but that's so funny because you're telling me like, you know, you got, you're into more metal and punk first, then you got into hardcore, but when you started going to shows, it was like a mixed bill of bands, right? That's what you're saying? Yep. So it makes sense that Harvest is such an amalgamation of all these different sounds because you didn't grow up with one sound. You grew up with so many different sounds going into your brain. So how did, how did you go and uh, end up creating Harvest and why did you guys have such a great vision to be like, you know what, we want it to have no parameters with our music. We want to play whatever we want to play. I had this band which was around for I think a good six to eight years or maybe about eight years. Ruins and Remains. So um, we were kind of like progressive um, metalcore in a way, but um, at the same time we mixed around other kind of genres together because all of us listen to a lot of different stuff. So, you know, like at the end of um, Ruins and Remains, you know, um, at, at that point of time, I kind of got deeper into more sludgy, doomy stuff and like kind of like a bit of noise as well. So I thought, you know, like I want to try something new. I got TTN and Sanjay to continue um, a band which I had much like um, vision and hope into accomplishing what um, I really wanted to do. The good thing about it is, you know, even up to now, like, not many people can actually, like, describe what genre we actually play. Because all of us, all three of us, listens to all sorts of different stuff. So I think that's a good thing about us. Because if, um, for people who have listened to us from the very first time that we put out our first couple of songs to what we have up to now, we can actually realize that our songs, there's a lot of like variations in it. Oh yeah, I would agree 100%. I mean, 
I remember even with United Asia, the very first time Harvest released music, you immediately, I mean, I get a lot of music comes into United Asia. People send me stuff all the time. So like my ears eventually just kind of go, oh yeah, yeah, sounds good, sounds good. But with Harvest, as soon as I press play, I was like, whoa, what's this? Like I literally had such a, that big of a reaction. I was like, because the noise was so good. You could hear that there were different layers. And I remember seeing your band picture and there's only three guys. I was like, how the fuck can this only be three guys? It was just such a mind warp for me. So I was so excited to hear it. But bro, I mean, honestly, the, the day that really blew me away was when I flew down to Singapore to watch Straightforward's uh, their last show. You were on that bill, right, Harvest? Yeah. And that's when that's when I was like, oh, this is this is a gem of gems of a band. Because uh, I can't remember which band opened up. It might have been Fuse or someone. Like, it was already a great show, man. It was already amazing. My mind was already blown. And then you guys got on stage... And not only did you already have your guitars and stuff, you turned the house lights on and you had tube lights right in front of the drum set and the bass amp. I'm like, what is, I, I was so blown away. And then when you started playing, man, that wall of noise that you guys are able to create, it has a sense of chaos. It has a sense of like journey. It has a sense that like, this, this band knows what they're doing, is really thought about how to play with soundscapes to create this amazing experience for an audience. Amazing, my friend. I was so blown away. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Now, when you were first getting into hardcore punk, right, you were saying that your friend kind of almost like dragged you in. What was his name? Axel. So with him kind of showing you, um, you know, kind of showing the ropes of what the punk rock and hardcore scene is in Singapore, when did you then decide to pick up an instrument or were you already playing by then? I was um I I only started like really getting into like music or rather like instruments. I think that was when I got first introduced to hardcore, hardcore and punk, which was um seventeen. You're trying to tell me that around seventeen is when you decided to pick up the bass and start playing. Is that correct? Um. Kind of, but actually, I picked up the bass when I was 14. And I was in, like, secondary school, which was uh, kind of, like, before college. Yeah. And I was just, like, jamming shit, like, putting money to um, Green Day, you know, stuff like that, you know. Very general shit stuff at that point. So, um... After I actually got like um, influenced or rather brought in to like the entire like um, hardcore punk community, I took my instruments more seriously. And um, yeah, so I was was going to gigs a lot. And um, luckily I got like to join a band called Psychics. Yeah, so we played like pretty straight up like hardcore punk. So we were very like, I would say influenced by like verse, hard, um, that part. It was nice to be part of uh, a band at that point of time, which was kind of 
I wouldn't say famous. Definitely not famous. It's not the right word, but kind of like known. Because mm. the community isn't that big yet. And there weren't like many bands around. I mean, the only couple of bands that were around were like um, Forgive, Psychics. Um, I can't really remember all the other bands. What year was this? 2007. Oh. Yeah, so um, I got a chance to like play bass for them. And um, I think it was... I, I played for them for maybe four or five years. Wow. And then we disbanded. But in those times, it was kind of nice because we actually opened for Have Heart. Um, played for Walls of Jericho. Um, we toured like Malaysia. Um, we toured with Antagonist AD. Wow. Uh, that's amazing that your first real like hardcore punk band already opened for Have Heart, already opened for Walls of Jericho. That's yeah. crazy, bro. You started, you started on such a high note. <laughs> I guess I was just really blessed and lucky. Yeah. I think the first show that I played with Psychics um, was Walls of Jericho. That's awesome, man. I can't, I can't imagine. No, I can't imagine. I don't know what my first show, my first show was in front of like other 11 year olds. <laughs> so I can't remember, imagine your well, situation. Always an experience, I guess. It makes me wonder then, of, of course, with uh, you joining Hardcore Punk and your friend Axel showing it, um, and you're saying that you grew up more on metal and you grew up more on punk rock. But then at the end of the day, you chose the path of hardcore and punk rock. Can you remember what was it? What, what's so special about hardcore and punk rock that you, you're like, oh, this is more for me? I think at that point, it was a community. So, you know, like everyone's so tight-knitted. And um, the group of friends that I was hanging out with always had each other's backs. And I think at that point, one of the things which made me kind of chose hardcore slash punk is, uh, or rather, was because of how energetic the shows were mm. and um, the experiences that I actually had at shows. You know, like just uh, constant stage diving, snaps, <laughs> hardcore dancing, and plus, you know, at that age, it was all about just, you know, just fucking around, vibing out. So I think that was, a, that was one of the main things which kind of made me kind of like stick to that. And at that point, um, although there were like other communities around, you know, like the screamo community and like the punk rock community, but these communities were not as tight-knitted. And mm. the shows were, I wouldn't say not fun, but it was kind of like a complete different, it was on a whole, as in like, hardcore and punk was on a whole new level mm. compared to the other genres. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly, because I grew up also listening to metal first. And even though when I was growing up listening to metal in Hong Kong, 
Um, I would listen to hardcore stuff and punk bands. It still didn't mean that much to me yet because I have to see hardcore and punk in front of you. Like, and exactly what you just said, like when you go to a hardcore show, the show is not just on the stage. The show is also in the pit. It's also on the side. It's also at the merch table. Like the yeah. whole thing, as soon as you walk in the door, the entire thing is an experience. And that's exactly what I remember walking out of. It was, I think it was 1994 when I went to my first real hardcore show was in the States. And when I saw sick of it all and just the entire room, I'm like, I don't know. Where should I watch? The band is completely covered by the audience because the audience was on stage. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like that's like, like you're saying, right? 360 degrees thing. Yeah. yeah. The show's like, yeah, you're right. The show's all around you and you're going to miss something. You're like, oh, like a friend will be like, did you see what that guy did? I'm like, what guy? I was watching in that direction. They're like, no, there's a guy to jump from the wall back there. And then someone else says the same stuff to you. And then you'll be like, what? What the fuck did I just say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah man it's crazy i also kind of want to go back to like singapore is such a like fertile ground for bands like you guys in singapore is it's a small country you know like everyone knows it's a small country but there are so many bands there and the bands are all doing so many great things and like you said it's almost like every genre of music in singapore has its own little community what do you think is is in the waters of Singapore that it breeds that kind of music, that kind of love for starting bands? Singapore is such a small country. People of my generation, or like the generation after me, or the generation um, before me, all of us were kind of like, you know, trying to find something to do. And, um, you know, I can't speak for everyone, but I think from what I realized is that, you know, like music was one of the, it was kind of like the main thing that made everyone get together in a way, you know, no, no matter which genre community you're from, it kind of just like brings people together. Why people really want to get into music is because bluntly, I would say people just want attention. Second thing, people want to tour and see the world. I mean, yeah. everyone wants to do that, you know. Any yeah. guy who just started playing music, that is one of the first things. And also, you know, there's not so many things to do in Singapore, to be honest. I like I like what you said uh, first too. Like you said, it's it's also a great way to build community and a unifying thing. It's what brings people together. Yeah. But then you're right. There's other reasons that people will probably be getting into music. Yeah. Uh, can I ask? You know, like one thing I've noticed uh, besides how many bands there are in Singapore <laughs> is that like every person in Singapore that's in a band is in like a hundred thousand other bands. <laughs> so what is that about in Singapore? That's the funny thing, man. Like, I myself am one of those persons. <laughs> you know, um, so I think, like, you know, um, as time kind of goes by, you know, you get exposed to, like, other genres, sub-genres, you know, as a person, um, or rather as most musicians, people want to, like, explore other genres as well so they it's not that you know they want to like ditch 
the very first band. It's more of like they just wanted to like get more exposure in a certain genre, try something new, get into some other communities, and kind of like widen their music knowledge and also mm. widen their social circle of like um musicians, I would say. Yeah, I mean, that's a great answer. I, I never even thought about that way. That, you know, when bands, sorry, when band members are playing in a lot of different bands, you're right. They're not playing in similar bands. They are playing in a different type of genre in, in this band, in a different type of genre in that band, in a different type of genre in a fourth band. And when they're doing that, they're just broadening their horizons of, you know, instrumentation, chords, notes, arrangement, especially with you guys. They're also learning more about, you know, noise and how to control the noise, how to control effects and soundscapes. Yeah, that's a great answer. That's a great reason why I feel like a lot of Singapore bands that come out just keep getting better and better and better and better. So Mel, we've done quite a lot of digging into your history about Singapore and the scene. I know that a lot of people that are watching this are probably going to want to know the background to what happened to you last year and how you ended up becoming paralyzed from, I think you're paralyzed from the neck down. Is that right? Um, it was the neck down, but in this one year, I'm starting to feel like my chest, I'm starting to feel like a quarter on my back and there's like um, more sensations on my arms right now so yeah that's like a a huge plus point man oh my gosh i didn't know that i didn't know that you're having feeling sensation in your body bro congrats and also um i am technically off the ventilator i took out the tracheostomy from my throat so now it's like i'm actually speaking with my normal voice without any like help from the ventilator oh my god this is the best news ever man no wonder you've been no wonder you've been smiling the whole interview i bet you're probably like wow just a few months ago there's no way that risen i could do this interview now you're doing it completely fine Hell yeah, bro. That's the best news ever. So let's, let's go back to that dreadful night. Um, I don't want to rehash it a million times for you. I'm sure you've talked about it a lot. But I think that story and how you've persevered through it and fought through it is going to be so inspiring to so many people all over the world right now. So Mel, can you take us back to that night? I think it was almost a year ago. What happened that night? So what happened was um, I had a couple of drinks and then... Um, I think it was kind of like slippery on this platform. So what happened was that I slipped and then um, I fell on my back. And that um, just because of that fall, I fractured my C3 and my C4 of my spinal cord, which is basically the highest point of um, anyone's spinal cord. It's like the highest... cervical area and um most of the times you know when i ask myself like why did i have to fracture or you know rather fracture my c3 and c4 but you know every every single time i think about that i could have dislocating my c1 or c2 which would completely leave me 
paralyzed or I could have just died, you know, but kind of glad that, you know, I'm still here being able to do this interview with you. Of course, you know, like there's still a chance for me to get better. So just really, you know, hoping for that and just trying my best. You know, I mean, since I'm given the second chance to live, you know, like there are so many other people out there in this world who are suffering like way more than I am. And um, yeah, so I just thought, you know, it would be unfair to them to be, you know, just dwelling in, in sorrow and, and um, just, you know, constantly thinking about dying. So, you know, like these people are fighting their fucking asses off. I should be doing the same. Um, can I can you, I ask you? Was there a period where you felt like you were in like a dark place after this happened? Dude, like I was in the ICU for three months. Oh, for a oh. hundred fucking days. Ice. Wow. And you know, being in the ICU is just filled with like it's just depressing. You know, I couldn't see. I could only see day and night. I couldn't see oh, I couldn't see trees at all. In hundred days when downstairs to just be wheeled around like twice. So mm. for the other ninety-eight days, I was stuck in bed looking at two giant digital clocks and just hearing like Oh my god. Um you know those medical sounds, beeps and all that, people getting transferred in and out. I think in that um, hundred days, I've seen like at least twenty people dying from my eyes. Yeah, so oh my um, gosh! That's pretty fucked up, and um, yeah, that was depressing. And plus, um, even before the accident, I was already like battling um, severe anxiety, and um, I was kind of like battling like mild like depression as well but you know with this happening waking up in the hospital and um, finding myself not being able to move and like with a huge ass fucking tube stuck in my mouth not being able to talk get it, getting like constant like infections and um, just being like on medications all the fucking time it was just really fucking sad. I mean, of, of course, like, the hospital team actually brought me out of that place. But then again, you know, with um, suffering from mental... I, I wouldn't really want to call it, like, mental illness, but, you know, suffering from that. Mm. Um, it yeah. constantly brings you back, you know, when your mind starts to wander. And I'm someone who can't stop worrying or thinking about things, you know. Like even this, even yeah. when there's nothing to worry about, situation that I'm in, you know, I just can't stop fucking like, you know, thinking about shit, you know. Um, like, yeah. when am I going to get better? Am I even going to get better? You know, stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine your situation because like you just said, you fell from a two meter height, 
you hit yourself on the floor, you break your, but you were knocked out, right? And the next thing, the next moment you woke up was in the hospital with the tube in your mouth. Is yeah. that right? Oh my God. I cannot imagine how strong of a person you have to be to be able to get through that for the next 100 days where you're like, I don't know what happened. Do you remember who told you what happened? So after I woke up in the hospital, I think I was on so much medication that I was kind of like in and out of like everything for a good like yeah. three to five days. And then I think after that, mm. the doctor actually told me that I fractured um, the highest and the most um, important part of my spinal cord and you might not be able to move for quite some time. What was your reaction when that when he said that? I literally said like, "What the fuck?" Uh, yeah. yeah, God, I can't. But um, yeah. I didn't. They didn't tell me what happened because they were not at the venue, at the place itself. Oh. But uh, I think a couple of days later, I kind of like dig dig out stuff from Sanjay and Jijian about it, and they actually kind of told me what happened because you saw the whole thing happening. Now, Mel, so then you were in the hospital for a hundred days. After the hundred days, then you were you finally able to go home? Is that where, that's yeah, where you are I, now, I right? got discharged straight from the ICU back home. And do you feel like once you got home, it, your, your mental state started to get a little Slightly bit better? Because, um, you know, it's always nice to be you know, around family, you know, just being in my own space. But um, I'm still getting, like, attacks, you know, anxiety mm. attacks and um, depression because uh, although I'm home, but, like, I'm still suffering from pretty severe depression and I am actually currently seeing a psychologist about it. Yeah. Good for you. You know, like, there's one thing I learned, you know, as much as, I mean, you know, it can get really bad, but there's one thing I always believe is that, you know, no matter how bad it gets, it will eventually be over. You're like the most hardcore person I know on the face of this planet, my friend. I'm very, very proud to call you a friend. I'm very proud for you to be my friend. Thank You're you, amazing, man. Mel. Mel, then when you finally got home, I, 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 because the next thing I knew about you or learned about you is that you blew my mind like you always do. You're such an incredible person. Even as I'm listening to you, I'm like, this guy, this guy's strength, mental strength, you know, is, is beyond anything I know. And your music is incredible. Your, your musicianship is incredible. Your stage show is amazing. You're a good friend. The next thing I know is you started your own t-shirt company. Like what, dude? What? You're like Superman. Can you tell us how did Greenspell come about? Um, so, you know, like when I was in the hospital, my brother started his own um, business management firm. And then... Uh, because, you know, I didn't want to be someone who is counted, you know, who is, um, I mean, you know, disabled in a way and um, just lying down here and not making full use of my life. 
because you know it's I can kind of still do things. I can communicate, so I just wanna kind of make the best yeah. out of it. So um, I was helping my brother for a while, and then after some time, I kind of thought to myself, you know, in my current state, my knowledge on on certain things and experience on certain things, why not make the best out of it? You know, and um. So at the start of, I think it was in, in December or like January, I actually thought to myself, like, hey, you know, like, why not, you know, do something that I've always really wanted to do, which was um, an apparel line. That's amazing, man. I'm wearing yeah. it right now. Right here, there it is, the green spell t-shirt. But you're right. I mean, you have like everything that I've seen from Harvest. Like I've got the CD in my hand right here. I mean, the artwork in this is phenomenal. Everything that you've done visually is just everything. I mean, like the cassette design too. I mean, I, and I think, are you the main designer for a lot of these, I did. these designs? Yeah, I did everything actually. Yeah, I remember when you and your band and my band got together and we came up with this and you designed this whole cover and as soon as you sent it to us, we're like, yep, that's it. That looks great. Done. <laughs> so now Mel, then talk us through how, so you come up with the idea for the t-shirt, right? Like the, you know, the logo, the artwork. How does it all then get into a computer? Do you tell someone to do it? So, is someone with you? Green Spell is like a, a two-man team. So luckily, I have this friend, which I've known her for like maybe like six to seven years, and then we kind of like stopped talking for a while, and then she found out about my accident, and then we kind of like started like talking again, and then you know like I found out that she was she she does like web development, coding, and she has like a design background as well, and we kind of like instantly clicked again so I just kind of asked her like do you want to be you know like on board and she's like yeah sure I mean I mean you know it's always nice to have something you kind of call your own you know and um, yeah so um, yeah I think I was really fucking blessed to have her on board and she's like 150% dedicated to this so um, I think in That's terms awesome. of designs, um, I get have the idea, and um, sometimes I try to get like references put together, and then you know I try mm. to explain to her what I what I want and the idea behind it, and um, out of all the designs that we have currently, we, we will always have like. Um, maybe like daily video calls and I discuss about stuff. Oh, nice. And then um, I'll tell her the ideas and she'll deliver it to me on the night itself or the next day. So it's really fast. And that's so cool that you do have somebody else to bounce ideas off of and bring your ideas that just sit in your, in your incredible brain because you're such a creative person that she brings it to life. You know, that's awesome that you have this person. I want to thank her too for helping my friend Mel. You're amazing. Um, Mel, you also, uh, besides this shirt, you also had another shirt. It's got like the biohazard logo on it. 
And that was a shirt that you actually tried to raise funds. Can you talk about how that came about and why you decided right. to do it? So, um, I, I can't really remember how that idea even came about. But um, why I, I decided to, to, to like um, send like 100% proceeds of the t-shirts to the migrant workers was, you know, Throughout the years, I've always thought, like, you know, like, Singapore wouldn't be where we are right now if not for these people. You know, like, we wouldn't have fucking roads. We wouldn't have, like, people cleaning toilets. We wouldn't have fucking houses to live in. We wouldn't have a clean fucking green city. You know, so, like, a lot of the things in Singapore... If not for these people, we wouldn't be where we are right now. You know, at this point, they are really going through a hard time in terms of, you know, being affected by this entire fucking situation. Not having jobs, not being able to send money back to their, to their families. So I thought like, you know, I might not be able to raise $10,000 or some shit like that. But I, I just thought to myself, you know, just doing something at least. Yeah, I mean, that's amazing that you're doing that because you're right. They're like the unsung heroes of Singapore, right? They're the ones like, you know how when a band is playing, it's not the band itself that you sh- the band should be thanking. It's all the people behind them, right? The people that fix the amps, that fix the guitars, they're people who are putting the lighting rigs up. Those are the unsung heroes that the audience doesn't know about. And that's amazing what you did. Just like these migrant workers are what yeah. makes Singapore look the way it does and function the way it does. It's such a, such a nice thing that you did. Thank you for doing that. It's just such a kind thing for you to do. Um, and it just con- continues to show well, you know, what kind of a person you are. Like you said, you're just a very giving person. And that always, no matter what state you're in, buddy, like you can just feel it. You can sense it through the way you communicate. Like even getting ready for this interview, um, you know, the way you answered on, uh, on the messenger, you could just sense that you're just such a kind person. You're like, yeah, I'll make it work. Don't worry, man. I'll figure out a phone. Something, someone will hold it for me. I'll figure it out. It's, it's just such a kind thing for you because you're such a good dude. So this is it. We're at the very end of our interview. Thank you for your time. Are there any last words or anybody you want to thank? Or do you want to tell anybody about what your future is for Green Spell or Harvest? Uh, I think for Green Spell, like, I just want to, like, as much as, you know, like, we are working as a two-man team, but I'm not someone who wants to, who likes to, like, dream big. But at the same time, I want to just try to like push it as far as I can. I want to show the world that you know it's not impossible for people with disabilities to achieve things that they want to achieve. As of harvest, um, it's really hard to say because you know like they're lacking a basis right now and a vocalist. So, you yeah, know, it's, yeah. I feel, you know, it's kind of, yeah. you know, with this entire accident happening, you know, like, I felt really unfair to them because it kind of feels like, mm. because of me, they kind of have to stop what drives them every day, you know, like, we could have done so mm. much more, mm. but, you know, like, 
shit right. happens. And um, right. I mean, I just hope you know, like miraculously, you know, I I become better again, and we can you know start writing stuff again. But I think as of now, yeah, Harvest is gonna be on a really, really, really long hiatus. Right. We're definitely not gonna call it quits. I mean, nice for anyone out there, you know, who really likes us, um, and are expecting stuff from us. I'm sorry to disappoint, but you're not gonna hear anything just yet. But if things get better, I promise you that we will make sure that we're gonna write stuff <laughs> that you will never, ever fucking imagine. Hell yeah, that's what you want to hear, man. I mean, like, the, lucky for the world is that you've already released music that we can listen to over and over again and just keep waiting for the day that you're back out. You can step on stage. I mean, wherever that's going to happen, I'm sure that show will take place in Singapore. I will definitely fucking fly out to it, come out and be like, dude, Mel made it through. He's on stage right now. I got to be there and see it, bro. I cannot wait for that. Hell yeah, bro. Hell yeah. It's going to happen. It's going to happen, man. Good thoughts, man. Lots of good thoughts. Lots of good prayers. Lots of strength through the computer, through the phone. Always, my friend. And I think like, um, you know, like I really want to thank like my family, um, the people around me, especially like um, my business partner, or rather my friend, Cass, um, Sanjay, especially, and um, my other friend, Swan Hong, and um, the guys from Losing and of course, yeah, and of course, not forgetting the people who actually took care of me in the hospital and are still taking care of me right now. Uh, yeah, you know, like, I wouldn't be where I am right now because of them. So I am, I'm just thankful, really, really thankful for all this. All right, bro. On that note, thank you so much. Take care of yourself. You too, man. Peace, brother. Peace. All right, that's the end of episode three of the United Asia podcast. At the end of this podcast, what I would love for you guys all to do is to go down to the green spell link in the description. Please check out Mel's apparel line. Grab a t-shirt or two. Grab a t-shirt for your family, for your pets, for everybody. Let's help Mel blow up his apparel line so the world knows that regardless of what situation you're in, you can achieve anything that you want. On that note, peace. Look at what we've been through Look at what we've been through